1: Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com.
2: What if AI could help your business deliver mission-critical outcomes with speed? With IBM Consulting, your business can design, build, and scale trusted AI using Watson X, and modernize the way you work to accelerate real impact. Let's create AI that transforms your business. Learn more at
0: IBM.com consulting. personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
3: There are moments in life that are so special that you have to capture them and save them forever. They are one of those once-in-a-lifetime events, like your baby's first steps, the first time you bring your family pet home, or your daughter's first dance performance with iphone 15 pro more storage means you don't have to delete anything that can become a lasting memory one day and it's important to be able to share these moments with family members who weren't there to see them in person store more share more connect with iphone 15 pro on at&t get iphone 15 pro on at&t and get an ipad and apple watch for 99 cents per month each at&t connecting changes everything Limited time offer. Requires 0% APR 36-month agreement on each. Well-qualified customers. Other terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash iPhone for details.
1: All in a hot and copper sky, the bloody sun at noon. Right up above the did stand, no bigger than the moon. Day after day, day after day, we stuck, nor breath, nor motion. As idle as a painted ship upon a painted ocean. Water, water everywhere, and all the boards did shrink. Water, water everywhere, nor any drop to drink.
0: A speck, a mist, a shape, I wist, and still it neared and neared. As if it dodged a water sprite, it plunged and tacked and veered. With throats unslaked, with black lips baked, we could not laugh nor wail, through utter drought, all dumb we stood. I bit my arm, I sucked the blood, And cried, A sail! A sail! With throats unslaked, With black lips baked, Agape they heard me call, Gramercy! They for joy did grin, And all at once their breath drew in, As they were drinking
4: all. <laughs> Welcome
3: to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com.
0: Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Joe McCormick. And old S.T. Coleridge, invading your ears. That's
1: right. From his 1798 poem, The Rime of the Ancient Mariner. Uh, in, in the first chunk there, we're, we're getting the, the, the famous lines about about being thirsty at sea, having no fresh water to drink the I, I ironic situation of finding yourself stranded amidst all this water and yet none of it is sufficient for for human consumption and then in the, in the second section the th- the sailors are so thirsty that they turn to drinking their own blood uh, to uh, to satisfy their thirst
0: Now this is a, a horror movie of the Romantic period oh, right yes.
1: Yeah, it has everything. It has ghosts. It has an albatross. Yeah. <laughs> it has sea madness.
0: Why is this classified as romantic literature? I need to go back to my English literature education and understand what I think it's about the spontaneous outpouring of overpowering feelings, right? I
1: think so. But it, yeah, it's just about people going crazy at sea. Like one of my favorite lines is uh, is uh as follows. I took the oars, the pilot's boy, who now doth crazy go, laughed loud and long, and all the while his eyes went to and fro. Ha ha, quoth he, full
0: plain I see, the devil knows how to row. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. It has a great tell-off line, too. Uh So it starts – I don't know if you remember the framing of the Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner. Most of the poem – is this crazy old mariner telling the story about how, you know, he killed an albatross and brought a curse upon his ship and mm-hmm. they saw death and all this, but The framing narrative is that there's this dude on his way to a wedding and a crazy old sailor just grabs him and starts telling his story. And as the poem goes on, the narrator gets totally horrified and engrossed in the old man's tale. But at first, the narrator just yells, unhand me, gray beard loon. (laughs) Oh, that's good. I often think of that when somebody is like bidding for my attention at work and I don't have time to pay attention (laughs) to them. Now, one thing that's great about The Rime of the Ancient Mariner, in addition to how fantastic of a poem it it is, is it's got really great old school illustrations like this Gustave Doré engraving we've got here of it uh, where everybody's huddled in fear as they're watching the albatross perching on the deck.
1: Oh yeah, the,
0: the, his his
1: artwork always goes great with a kind of dark story, right? I mean his his uh, his illustrations of the Divine Comedy, uh, various biblical uh, uh, stories that he illustrated. There's a there's a darkness to those woodcuts.
0: Yeah. Now the line that often gets quoted from the rhyme of the Ancient Mariner, "Water, water everywhere," I think slightly misquoted as "And not a drop to drink." Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, signals the fact that. You often as a sailor be stuck out in the ocean and you might be very, very thirsty and you're surrounded by water, but the water is not going to help you with your thirst. That's
1: right. This is uh, this is one of the the most important uh, survival facts out there is that if you were stranded at sea upon a desert island, upon a deserted ship, you name it, uh, do not drink the salt water. Every survival handbook out there will tell you the same. No matter how how tantalizing it may seem, no matter how how logical the solution might appear, you should not drink the salt water because you're gonna you're gonna lose that race because it is going to catch up with you.
0: Yes, you you are going to lose the chemical race against the uh, the solvent. Wait, the solute, the salt. Anyway, against this solution of <laughs> NACL in H2O. And I also wanted to think about how I think it's fascinating to make just a chemical compound such a grim apocalyptic figure in a poem. uh Like as a grim apocalyptic tale about death by seawater, I think the rhyme of the ancient mariner is Pretty much the best. Oh, yeah. But I often think about what sorts of chemistries could figure into modern apocalyptic sci-fi. And I think salt would be a really great one. So, Robert, do you want to hear my pitch for the the sci-fi version of the, the saltwater apocalypse?
1: Sure, though. I, you're going to you have quite a challenge here in
0: capturing the same cadence, you know. Well, no, it's, <laughs> it, I, I can't do the, the romantic poetry, okay. but I'll try to do the scenario. So. Fact is, the Earth's oceans were not always as salty as they are now because salt is not intrinsic to the ocean water. I don't know. Uh, sometimes you think about, well, most of the water on the Earth is in the oceans. Uh, the salt water therefore vastly outnumbers the, the amount of fresh water out there. I don't know if outnumbers is the right word because it's not enumerated, but there's way more salt water than there is fresh water. Yeah, the
1: vast majority of water is salt water, therefore it would seem rational to uh,
0: To to guess that this is the natural state of water. No, it's not. Freshwater is the natural state of water. The oceans got salty, and they got salty from billions of years of rinsing the rocks. See, Earth's crust is about 2.8% sodium. uh, The most common compound in rock salt being NaCl or sodium chloride. This is the same as common table salt. It's what you'd put on your food. And as slightly acidic rainwater and freshwater runoff rinses and dissolves the rocks of planet Earth over long periods of time, it dissolves little bits of that sodium chloride and carries all of that sodium downstream and eventually into the ocean. And then this salt accumulates in the oceans because the sun heats the ocean water causes it to evaporate, it forms clouds, and those clouds eventually rain the water back down on the land, but the salt pretty much stays where it is. Now, fortunately, there are natural processes known as salt sinks, and these help remove salt from the ocean and deposit it back on land or in the crust. And for this reason, the salt content of the ocean seems fairly stable for now. But what if in the future the oceans became more like the fatally salty Dead Sea, where if you've ever seen what people look like when they swim in the Dead Sea, they bob like a bob lure, like you just totally mm-hmm. float on the surface uh, because of the high salinity of the water. But also what you'll notice is you don't see any fish or any seaweed or anything. No macroscopic organisms can live in water that salty. So we could have a salt apocalypse. They call it the Dead Sea for a reason. Yeah. What if the whole sea was the Dead Sea? Ooh, I like it. I like it. You could that could even be
1: the title, Dead Sea, Uh, and then colon, and then whatever sci-fi year you want to go with. It's like Dead Sea 3020. The Saltening. Yeah. (laughs) All right. I like that. I like that. Uh, I I guess we should talk a little bit about just how much salt is in the ocean uh, currently. Uh, just the, what what are the current sea salt levels to the ocean? About a hundred pounds, right? <laughs> well, a little bit more than that. Uh, so uh, seawater is salt water that to the tune of three point five percent average uh, salinity. So that's thirty five parts per thousand. And the crazy part here is that there's so much salt in Earth's oceans that uh, supposedly if you were to remove it all and spread it evenly across the surface, you'd
0: have a 40-story layer of salt. Now, it should be fairly obvious that drinking salt water is not a good idea when you're thirsty. Uh, But there's a reason we keep returning to this idea in our fiction, right? Mm -hmm. Because in much of human history, there are lots of scenarios where you could get stuck out on the, the ocean, without fresh water. I mean, we love those type of stories, right? Yeah. I mean,
1: they're, they're stories of, of of man versus nature, a human being trying to survive. And again, like I, I alluded to earlier, there is something deeply ironic about being surrounded by water and
0: not being able to drink
1: any of it. What's that Simpsons episode where Homer
0: <laughs> starts drinking the salt water? Oh,
1: yeah, that's a uh, Boy Scouts in the Hood where he uh-huh. misquotes uh, the poem and says, water, water everywhere, so let's all have a drink <laughs> and starts <laughs> drinking palm full and palm after or palm full of salt water until they just pull him away from the edge of the life raft. Uh huh. Um, you know, it shows up other places as well. Uh, in in the Song of Ice and Fire saga, uh, George R. 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 Martin's Iron Islanders, the sort of Lovecraftian
0: Vikings yeah. uh, of the series. The, the ones that everybody's always saying, give us more chapters with them. That's who I want to spend my time with. I, well, yeah, I, I ended up feeling that way. I ended up
1: feeling that way oh, with really? the
0: TV series. I was like, hey, there's all sorts of stuff you could be doing with the Iron Islanders. They're kind of cool. Oh, I, Sorry, I said that ironically. I feel like most <laughs> people are just kind of like paging through the Iron Islands chapters. Like, come on, give me back to the other characters.
1: I feel like maybe I did at one point, but they reached a, a point in the Iron Islanders um, narrative where I got really invested
0: in it. Well, they do have a really cool religion that has to mm-hmm. do with an underwater god who has a major salt component.
1: Yeah, yeah, I and mean, the whole uh, d- drowned god uh, that that pops up in their religion. Uh, they have these priests, they have these ritualized drownings. It's sometimes a little vague, it's like to what extent it's just like a, a violent Viking baptism in the sea, or if there's some sort of Mm, supernatural element going on as well. But, but they drink seawater, right? They do drink seawater. I mean, you're going to drink it as the priest is attempting to drown you, but then also it's said that their priest drinks seawater to quote to strengthen their faith.
0: But you should not drink seawater to strengthen your body.
1: No. So it, the thing is, yeah, humans need a lot of water, certainly. But we don't need a lot of salt. Uh, We can consume small amounts of salt. Certainly we do it all the time. Uh, We love salty foods. Mm -hmm. And also we need salt to maintain our body chemistry. So it's, it's not a situation where it's just a completely alien component. It's part of who we are, but we don't need that much.
0: But we absolutely do need some. Like at any given time, the average human body contains, I read this today, about 250 grams of sodium. That's... About eight point eight ounces. Your standard cylinder container of Morton table salt. You know the, you know the can of salt. The big one. This is the the one that larger than a, a soda can. Well, it's the twenty six ounce can. Okay. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, that container of Morton table salt. 26 ounces. So if you've got 8.8 ounces in the average human body, depending on your body size, more or less about one-third of those containers is inside you right now. That seems like a lot of salt, right? Like if you put that much salt on a meal, the meal would be, I dare say, too salty. I think most people would agree with that, yes. I want to tell a story that a friend of mine once told me. So uh my friend, she she's a very smart outdoors person. She does a lot of hiking, and she knows how to handle herself in the wilderness. And she was out hiking one time on a trail in Zion National Park, and it was out in the heat. And, of course, you know, when you're hiking out in the heat, in the desert, on the rocks, you know you need to take plenty of water with you and to keep drinking in order to keep yourself hydrated. And under that desert sun, dehydration and overheating can really sneak up on you. So the smart thing to do is not wait until you're super thirsty to drink some water, but keep sipping, be very conscientious about keeping yourself cool, keeping water coming in. And this this friend of mine, as I said, she knows how, she knows what to do in the outside, so she was drinking plenty of water uh out on the rocks, but She noticed that she started to feel terrible. She felt nausea. She had a headache, a weakness, and I think she said she was kind of confused and foggy. And normally in that situation, you'd think, okay, I'm out in the desert. I'm probably getting dehydrated. I need to rest and drink more water. But she kept drinking water, and the symptoms didn't get any better. So she didn't know what was going on. They got concerned, and she came back down off the trail and ended up at a shuttle station where they called for emergency services. So what's going on, right? It seems like the symptoms of dehydration almost, but she'd been drinking so much water. It didn't really make any sense. Hmm. So the paramedics arrived. They got the lay of the situation. They And what they eventually did was they got her to eat some pretzels. Oh. So the problem wasn't a lack of water. It was too much water diluting the salt content of her blood plasma. And what she needed to bounce back were some salty snacks.
1: All right. So th- that sounds like – what everyone needs to bring with them on a, on a hike from now
0: on is just make sure you do have some pretzels tucked away for emergency use. Now, I wonder if you need a rapid infusion of salt, like what is the best thing to eat? I, mm-hmm. I imagine the situation is fairly rare in America. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, we, we do love our salt, don't uh, Yeah, well, I, spe- I I love salty foods too. But like, what is it like Doritos or should <laughs> you take a jar of pickles or a stick of pepperoni? Uh, but see,
1: other people might see you taking that bag of Doritos or jar of pickles with you on the hike. and. <laughs> they're going to they're going to they might judge you for your, your, your choice in trail food. I guess you just need like a salty trail mix or packets of soy sauce, uh, which we'll come back to in a bit.
0: Oh, OK. Yeah. Well, I wonder if some people, uh, in addition to their hydration, when they're like running and exercising, they squirt those little electrolyte gel things. Right. Mm-hmm. And those have some amount of salt content to help keep you balanced. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, gross side note of the story <laughs> she told me about at the shuttle station. Uh, my friend, she felt so bad after she got down there that she vomited out on the ground somewhere. And then later while she was waiting around, she got to watch a wild fox wander over and start eating it. Oh, well, that's kind of beautiful, really. It's Cycle like of yeah. life yeah the cycle of whatever life she ate and then vomited and then something else got to eat.
1: Yeah, I mean she w- she was behaving much like uh certain buzzards do when threatened, you know, yeah. a-, a vomit uh, which a vomiting display that is either meant to scare off uh, uh a predator or
0: to distract it with a bribe. Yeah, here you can have this. Yeah, have these pretzels and uh, you know, and Gatorade. So we totally need Sodium to keep our bodies functioning right. If you don't have enough sodium in the body, this is called hyponatremia, and you can experience some really messed up symptoms. And in addition to what you heard about in that story, nausea, vomiting, headache, fatigue, and all that, uh, you can on the far end of problems, if it gets bad enough, you can end up with seizures and coma. So I mentioned that sodium is an electrolyte. That That's one of the reasons that it's necessary in the body. And an electrolyte is a substance that tends to dissolve in a solution and produce ions or charged particles. The presence of these charged particles makes the solution a better conductor of electricity. For example, salt water is a much better conductor of electricity than fresh water. And if you want proof of this, you can look up videos of salt water circuits. Have you ever seen one of these no, or made believe one? That. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. Uh, I wouldn't advise you to try this on your own at home unless you really know what you're doing. Electricity and water can be a dangerous combination, but the basic setup is you've got a circuit. Uh, and it's connected to a battery and to a light bulb. And at one point on your circuit, you have open wire ends that are stuck down into a jar of water. So the electricity would need to go through the water to complete the circuit. And if you've just got regular tap water, especially if you've got something like distilled water, the bulb is not going to light up. It can't generate enough current to really complete the circuit. But if you stir some salt into the water, suddenly the, bu- the bulb will come to life. And there's some kind of rough equivalence to that within, uh, within the body. Like the body is an electrochemical machine and one of the ways it regulates itself and does its stuff is through electrochemical signaling and electrochemical exchange. So your body cells have membranes surrounding them, and these membranes are electrically permeable. They can allow ions to pass through to balance electrical charge on the sides of the membrane. And by exchanging potassium ions and sodium ions across the cell membrane, the cells can, for example, direct an electrical impulse, uh, which means a chain of nerve cells can pass a message from one part of the body to another. But you can also think of sodium and potassium as one of the ways that stuff gets into and out of a cell. This electrolyte exchange across the cell membrane can be used, for example, to exchange glucose, to get glucose into the cell. And the body also uses sodium to maintain overall fluid balance and uh, regulate blood pressure. So you need sodium. It's an important part of everything your body needs to do to survive. Without it, you would not be able to live. But like we were saying, you don't need a lot of it.
1: It's interesting, isn't it, how you end up Revisiting the body as this kind of chemical equation, but for the most part it's a self-regulating chemical equation. Provided that you have you have your 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 typical resources around you,
0: yeah, unless there is something really wrong with your inputs, mm-hmm. generally, if the body is healthy, it's going to be balancing the sides of this equation on its own, and so the body usually tries to keep the sodium content very stable between about one hundred and thirty five and one hundred and forty five milli equivalents of sodium per liter of water in your body. And mill, mill equivalents is a measure in chemistry often used to measure the amount of solute in a solution. In this case, it's sodium in water, and there are 1,000 equivalents in an equivalent. So notice that's a pretty tight range for normal sodium levels, right? 135 to 145 equivalents means that the body needs to be constantly managing its retention and excretion of sodium to keep those levels in the optimal functioning range. But having too much salt is I would guess a more common problem than having too little and certainly just as potentially harmful. And drinking seawater puts you at immediate risk for oversalting your body and your cells can basically start to get like salted slugs. It's yeah, not good.
1: Yeah, it's not good. It's really it, it's really kind of diabolical the way it plays out. It, it seems like some sort of a punishment uh, uh, from the inferno. So basically what happens is,
0: is humans, we're eating and drinking a lot to dilute our salt kind right. of intake. So you're fine normally if you have a salty meal, it's not going to kill you immediately because you can drink water to make up for it. Your, your kidneys will help you mm-hmm. excrete all that salt over a period of time. You there's, might... a, there's
1: a reason you have that super gulp of, uh, of sugary soda <laughs> water, right? Right. Yeah. But, yeah, if we consume too much salt, the body has to dump it. It, But that body has to get rid of that salt the only way it knows how, through urine. Evacuation mode. Exactly. But the, the human kidneys can only make urine that is less salty than salt water. So it cannot it can't get rid of it as fast as it's coming in. To get rid of all that excess salt from salt water, you have to urinate more water than you drank. And this is the path to doom. You die of dehydration, becoming thirstier and thirstier with
0: every gulp. It's one of those fates that is not only cruel, but ironic.
1: Yeah. All right, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to get more into this situation. What happens when we do drink salt water and... Another outline question, does it lead to madness? Does it lead to sea madness?
2: AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry, and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI.
4: $50 off now until Father's Day. Visit dot com backslash father to get $50 off the best premium cocktail maker for dad at the best price for you. Bartesian, premium cocktails on demand.
0: So, Robert, we've talked about how the body needs sodium to survive, but if you have too much of it, it's going to be a big problem for you. And if you start drinking seawater when you're thirsty, it will not cure your thirst, but will take you down a bad road.
1: That's right. The road to doom. So the body tries to compensate for fluid loss by increasing the heart rate and constricting blood vessels uh, to maintain blood pressure and flow to vital organs. So you're, you're also most likely to feel nauseous, weakness, and even a, a sense of delirium. Uh, but as you become more dehydrated, the coping mechanism fails. If you still don't drink any water to reverse the effects of the excess sodium, the brain and other organs receive less blood, leading to coma, organ failure, and eventually
0: death. Right. So as we've said several times now, if you're thirsty out on the ocean, don't drink the seawater. That's right. And uh, the, the delirium... Uh,
1: Condition there that that underlies the the whole idea of sea madness. Right. You could become
0: delirious from drinking the seawater. We see a good bit of that portrayed, I think, in the rhyme of the ancient mariner, even though. Well, I don't know if it ever establishes in the poem a cause and effect saying Mm -hmm. like, oh, somebody drank the seawater and then they went mad. I can't remember. Is that in there? At least you get that vibe. I mean, mm-hmm. it could be that this this character, the old man from the sea, is just making up this whole story.
1: It could be he just drank seawater right? just right out of the bay and walked up to this guy on his way to the wedding. There's really no uh no
0: epic survival story to uh to relate now if this guy was going to an ancient Greek wedding, it's possible he may have been on his way to drink some seawater himself right
1: yeah this so this is interesting i uh I was not aware of the medicinal consumption of seawater <laughs> prior to researching this episode, but yeah. uh i I ended up running across it and it's it's fascinating so We mentioned the fictional Iron Islanders earlier, uh, a seagoing people in George R. R. Martin's book who who honor the sea and believe their god lives under the sea. And uh, this, of course, lines up with a number of different uh, traditions of ocean-going people, uh, particularly the ancient Greeks who were a seafaring culture and they placed a lot of emphasis on the power of the ocean. Right. And like the if, Greek... you,
0: if you anger Poseidon, it could really come back to bite you.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, of course, really, most of the Greek gods were, were terrible entities to even uh, attract the attention of, much less uh, tick off. But yeah, Poseidon uh, uh, does f- feature into a number of these tales. I mean, in that what happened to Odysseus? He made Poseidon yeah. mad? Yeah, yeah. He's, he's kind of the, the central antagonist of that one, isn't he? But the, the Greeks, they sometimes added seawater to wine to uh, to adjust the flavoring. Um, Cato the Elder reportedly served it to his slaves, uh, a mixture of wine and seawater to keep them energized. That doesn't sound like an energy drink. Well, uh, or does it? Like the electrolytes, I guess. You know, It's kind of like ancient, cruel Gatorade.
0: I guess all energy drinks are cruel, but that, that is crueler <laughs> than usual. Yeah.
1: Now, during the 18th century, uh, physicians took inspiration from the works of Hippocrates and Celsus and they revived the practice. Uh, now, one of the classical approach was to sweeten your salt water, uh, your sweeten your seawater with honey. Uh, the British liked to dilute it with milk. This sounds gross. Yeah, just a big glass of salty milk to I, uh, you know to, to to enhance your constitution.
0: I guess I'm trying to imagine how salty it was. Like as we've said, there there are electrolytes in some sports drinks, so is 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 this going to end up being about as salty as Gatorade or is it going to be like a salty, salty drink?
1: Well, I think we find one possible answer in uh, an excellent 2013 Atlantic article by uh, Addie Braun titled The Historic Healing Power of the Beach uh I'll include a link to this article on the landing page for this episode at StuffToBlowYourMind.com because she gets into not only the idea of drinking salt water but just this idea of the beach as a place where one might go to heal oneself. Yeah. Uh which is uh which is an interesting topic unto itself and one that I find myself believing in and yet unsure of the scientific
0: uh you know underlying uh uh, truth to it. Well, it seems like part of a broader phenomenon, especially in the 18th century. I can think of of people who have a disease being prescribed by their doctors not to like take a drug, or mm-hmm. I mean, though that did happen too, but to go to a specific climate. Yeah, I uh, think about you know Keats uh, being prescribed you need to go to like a Mediterranean climate to get well or something.
1: Yeah, but as she points out in the article, there was a time when hanging out at the beach—that's what peasants did. Uh, it's only as this uh, the, this resurgence of the healing power of the beach becomes a thing, that you see uh, the higher classes heading out there as well. Hmm. Now, uh, in this article, though, she uh, points out that in 1750, Dr. R- Richard Russell published a treatise titled, A Dissertation on the Use of Seawater in the Diseases of the Glands, Particularly the Scurvy, Jaundice, King's Evil, Leprosy, and the Glandular Consumption. <laughs>
0: OK, so, uh, <laughs> the evil, the huh? uh, so
1: the king's evil, the uh, king's evil. So the king's evil was a swelling of the lymph nodes associated with the tuberculosis. But of course, the
0: idea was that this condition could be cured by the touch of a royal, uh, yes. a royal person who was blessed by the divine right of kings. Exactly.
1: We know now that 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 uh, that cure does not work. Though probably a great way to get syphilis. Uh, <laughs> just looking back on uh, the history.
0: Wait, was this also known as the scrofula? Is the, I think I've read that. Yes,
1: I believe so. So Dr. Russell, he, uh, he prescribed a lot of seawater, uh, including uh, to one of his patients who, uh, who suffered from leprosy. And he required uh, this particular patient to sprinkle himself with seawater and, quote, drink a pint of seawater every morning oh. during nine months without any intervals. And he reported a full recovery. I don't believe that. <laughs> a pint of seawater,
0: that yeah. is a lot of salt.
1: It, yeah, I would think so. I, I kept thinking about it during my recent trip to the beach. Like, what if I what if I I followed Dr. Russell's advice and I myself just drank a pint of this stuff every morning just to kick off the day?
0: Now, here's a question I wonder. I wonder if maybe people were in some cases not drinking enough fresh water mm-hmm. and that by getting people to drink seawater, it made them thirsty so they would end up drinking a lot of fresh water to make up for it, and that that would actually increase their overall water consumption and make them healthier.
1: Well, but of course then that depends on their access to fresh water. Yeah. It, does it result in them drinking more fresh water or does it result in them drinking more, more beer? beer,
0: exactly. So I don't know. I'd say the answer is probably beer. <laughs>
1: so, if you were, if you are stuck at sea or on a deserted uh, island or, or what have you, mm-hmm. obviously beer would be the better choice. But, but let's say you definitely have to drink seawater. You should not drink seawater. But let's say it starts looking like a good idea. How might one go about that? Wait a minute. Didn't we say you shouldn't do
0: it no matter what?
1: Exactly. All all the survival manuals say do not drink seawater. And yet you will find particular survivalists who say, look, you shouldn't drink seawater, but here's how you do it. (laughs) Here's how I did it and survived. All right. Well, let's hear some salty prescriptions. Okay. So once again, to be clear, there are accounts and sometimes rather disputed accounts of individuals surviving their their ordeals at sea through the balanced consumption of seawater. balance. Yeah, so right.
0: that means not just like ladling it out and drinking it, but maybe mixing it with consumption of freshwater exactly. or something else.
1: Yeah. Uh, noteworthy examples of this include French biologist uh, Alan Bombard, Norwegian, Norwegian adventurer Thor Dahlrinch, and sailor William Willis. Uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about Bombard here. He lived uh, 1924 through 2005 he went to an oceanographic institute in Monte Carlo to develop ways for people uh, lost in small boats to survive. This after he and a friend survived in a boat for 5 days with only a half kilogram of
0: butter. Of butter? Yeah. What is that supposed to say, water? Butter, just butter? Yes, butter. You heard that right, <laughs> not water, butter. So what he's saying is, you know, if, if there's no fresh water around, you're saying drink butter. Is that, <laughs> is that what we're being told here? But basically. but uh, <laughs>
1: now during his, uh, his time in Monte Carlo, he concluded that drinking limited quali- quantities of seawater and fluids pressed from raw fish mm-hmm. and eating f- raw
0: fish and plankton – that this was the way to go. Well, it'll come back in a little bit later in this episode, but that may be part of the strategy employed by some organisms that live in the ocean. Exactly, but uh, in this case, it, like I say, it's it's a little
1: uncertain exactly how all this shakes out. He later put it to the test and claimed that while the raw fish and plankton tasted like lobster biscuit first, uh, it grew tiresome. Oh, it grew tiresome
0: yes. on the on the lifeboat.
1: Yeah, and uh, and then a critic comes along. German doctor Hans Lindemann, who lived uh nineteen twenty two through two thousand and fifteen he tried to follow his advice and drank seawater to survive on two short voyages, resulting in a dangerous swelling of his feet and legs and he ended up ch- uh, charging Bombard with cheating, saying that he had he'd probably used secreted provisions to survive in this test and uh, and, I, and I believe he he suggested that it was probably beer. <laughs> Uh, to come hmm. back to our, sh- our, 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 our mention of beer earlier. Now, th- he's not the only word on the whole uh, issue of how much seawater should you drink. According to the paper, Metabolic Effects in Rats Drinking Increasing Concentrations of Seawater by Z. Etzion and R. Yagel, published in Comparative Biochemistry and Physiology, Part A, Uh, uh, physiology, 1981, found that, yes, drinking seawater when dehydrated is, quote, not beneficial and causes impaired renal function. But if push comes to shove, they recommend the following.
0: Oh, so they actually got some results that might be useful to save lives.
1: Yeah, now these are from, these are with rats, but they say when the concentration of seawater in the drinking water is gradually increased, there is a gradual increase in water uptake and corresponding urine excretion. Okay. At 50% seawater, the maximum uptake and excretion is reached. Following this, there is a decline in appetite, water uptake, and urine secretion. So this is, this is what they say. It is suggested that when a man is stranded at sea, it is not advisable to drink all the fresh water and then be compelled to drink seawater when dehydrated. It is better to slowly increase the seawater uptake. This will prolong the time before seawater needs to be drunk and result in only minor metabolic changes. Return to fresh water will be followed by an immediate return to normal homeostasis. Now, I want to come back to soy sauce for a second. Because uh, as it turns out, there there are, of course, other ways to acquire salt poisoning, uh, such as the 2013 case reported in the Journal of Emergency Medicine in which a 19-year-old Virginian man drank a quart of soy sauce. What? Uh, apparently on a dare. On a dare? Oh. <laughs> and he, uh, he developed uh, um, a hypernatremia. So it's the opposite of the condition you were talking earlier. This is too much salt in the blood. Uh-huh. And this is super dangerous because it essentially turns your brain into jerky.
0: Now, I, if I had to guess, I, I suppose I could – I would guess that if the body detected that much salt going in through the digestive system, it would just immediately reject it through vomiting.
1: You would think. Yeah. And yet uh, in this case, he drank down the, 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 uh, the soy sauce and then he started complaining of, of these uh, symptoms, that he was uh, uh, feeling uh, nauseous. Because in this case he he drank enough to go into a seizure and had to uh, had to had to be picked up by the ambulance taken to the emergency room, so so what happens here is that the water ends up moving out of the brain into the body to equalize the salt concentration, and this can, can cause the brain to shrink and to bleed. Ugh. So at once he arrives at the emergency room, they had to pump 1.5 gallons or six liters of sugar water into his system and his levels normalized after five hours. The hippocampus, however, a uh, region of his brain, showed signs of trauma for several days before returning to normal. So we've said don't drink
0: the seawater, also don't drink the soy sauce.
1: Don't, yeah, don't drink the soy sauce, and certainly don't uh, slam the soy sauce. Not now, to demonize soy sauce. I'm no, a big fan of delicious. soy sauce. Now, interestingly enough, in the paper, authors Carlberg uh, Berg et al. report— That in ancient China, salt in ingestion was a traditional method for suicide.
0: This led me to a paper. What? Yeah, I, I, this, Uh, this, uh, floored me as well. That sounds like the result of like some sick brainstorming session at a Saw movie writers meeting where they're trying to come up (laughs) with like the most horrible way to kill somebody.
1: I agree. I, I, was, I was a little doubtful of it, so I ended up doing a little more research on it. This led me to a paper in JAMA titled Suicide by Drinking a Solution of Salt by C. Herman Barlow. Sounds good, right, except it's a 1912 paper, so okay. that it's, it's you know not definitive. But uh, in this, the author says, quote, salt is taken for suicidal purposes sometimes in a common saturated solution made with water as the solvent and sometimes in the brine from salted kraut. Poisoning by salt usually presents a picture of high temperature and pulse, purging, vomiting, and spasm. Um, Yeah, I couldn't find anything else on this. Really? I found, I found some, some information about the uh the nature of suicide in chinese society in a in the book chinese society change conflict and resistance uh and, and in this authors sing lee and author kleinman they they write that quote suicide is not simply authorized in the chinese tradition as an unnatural death it was to be avoided and it was in some text not to be mourned suicide was polluted and polluting i wasn't able to find much more about uh, traditional uh, Chinese suicide practices other than that.
0: Yeah, uh, one of the types of claims I'm often the most skeptical of is just sort of like generic claims about cultural practices in some culture other than the one writing about it.
1: Yeah, and especially when drinking salt water uh, as a means of killing yourself is, it does seem nonsensical. It seems like there are much better ways. It seems like this... This would be the the sort of thing that would want to be driven to in a survival situation or in a case of of some sort of uh, uh, severe mental instability.
0: Yeah. But if you are out there and you know of a more authoritative source about this, please send it our way. This would be interesting to know. Yeah, by all means. All right. Well, we are going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll ask the question, do any animals drink seawater? And if so, how?
4: Dad deserves something really nice for Father's Day. But let's face it, we usually don't do it. Big gifts are for Mother's Day.
6: Your credit card should match your lifestyle. At Kemba Financial Credit Union, choose a card with benefits that work for you. For a limited time, all cards have 2% cash back on purchases and 0% interest on balance transfers for a year. Apply at Kemba.org. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024.
4: Diamonds Direct has done it again. This month only, get ready for an offer you can't resist. Buy a natural diamond engagement ring of 1 carat plus and receive a free natural 1 carat diamond tennis bracelet valued at $2,000. That's right, a Stunning diamond tennis bracelet at no extra cost. Imagine giving her the ring of her dreams and her wedding gift all at once. So hurry into Diamonds Direct. Your chance to get a free tennis bracelet will not last long. Details at diamondsdirect.com.
0: All right, we're back. So when you think of ocean dwelling animals, If you're like me, you probably assume that they just must have some way of drinking salt water to hydrate themselves. That's what seems obvious, right? But this isn't necessarily the case, not for all of them. Uh, I found a good explainer in this Scientific American article by a marine biologist, Robert Kinney, of the University of Rhode Island, about how animals that live in the sea consume salt water. Specifically, he was focused on mammals And one of the things he pointed out is that it's not that marine mammals are like these salt monsters with 10 percent salt in their blood. In fact, despite the fact that they live in this salty environment, the salt concentration in their blood is not very different from that of terrestrial mammals. So their their insides are a lot like our insides. So Their blood is generally about one third as salty as seawater, which is kind of close to what ours is. But some sea-dwelling mammals get water not by drinking from the ocean and purging the salt, but from their food. This kind of goes back to Bombard's recommendation Mm -hmm. where he said, you know, maybe you can get uh, some freshwater content by pressing the flesh of of fish or something like that or or of uh, marine plants. You've heard a million times that the human body is, you know, however many percent water, 300 percent water or whatever. I think the real figure is something close to 60 percent by mass. Well, other organisms are also largely made of water. And if you eat them, you can get water from them. But some marine organisms also actually do drink the brine wine. So how does that work? Well, they're basically... Two different approaches. Uh, one approach
1: is that they act as osmotic conformers. Okay. What does that mean? So marine plants and invertebrates, they have no mechanism to control osmosis. So their cells are the same salinity as their environment, 35 uh, for ocean dwellers. And that means saltwater intake doesn't disrupt
0: their physiological equilibrium. So that's plants and invertebrates. They, right. they basically say, okay, we're just committing to salt life. Exactly. But what about vertebrates? All right. This
1: is where we encounter osmotic regulators. Most fish, as well as uh, reptiles, birds, uh, and mammals, uh, control osmosis in a variety of ways. For instance, uh, salmon use specialized cells on their gills called chloride cells to cope with osmosis. Uh, Chloride cells can uh, excrete excess salt, allowing uh, a fish to take uh,
0: uh, in water without dehydrating. Okay, so you can imagine that in some senses these might work kind of like the, uh, like the water purifying plants that, that get Fresh water out of the ocean water through some process of reverse osmosis. Yeah. They've got a membrane, and it allows water to come through from one side to the other, but keeps the salt out. Or maybe the the body the body works by purging salt in the other way, like it can excrete salt through a membrane while retaining the water content.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's a that's a good way to put it. Now, I recently returned from a trip to Florida, and I was sort of uh, churning over a lot of this salt research while I was down there uh, as I was encountering uh, manatees, uh, both in the wild and uh, in an aquarium Mm -hmm. uh, situation, as well as some exhibits with a number of different aquatic reptiles. Yeah, yeah. So one example is the American crocodile. Oh, wow. It excretes salt through the use of modified uh, salivary glands called lingual salt glands in their tongues.
0: <laughs> salty tongues.
1: Yeah, and these allow them to tolerate partially salty water or even full seawater in some species. And uh, similarly, the, the green and loggerhead sea turtles have salt glands near their eyes. Um Salt glands are also found in sharks, rays, skates, seabirds, and a few reptiles. Mer- marine iguanas are a great example of this. They have nasal salt glands that dislodge the salt through the splendid nasal blast.
0: Oh, I wonder if that's why sometimes you see those marine iguanas looking so crusty on the face. Pro- probably so. Uh, there are a few
1: different – I want to say it's probably the you know the BBC series with Attenborough uh, where you get to see some of these, uh, these iguanas uh, swimming under the water and then coming up on the surface Surface to
0: just blast that salt out of their nose. Okay, well, how about some mammals?
1: All right, well, the manatee is, I think, the, the perfect example to look to next. So among the Cyrenian species... you have uh, both strict uh, freshwater inhabitants, such as the Amazonian
0: manatees. These are like river
1: manatees. Yeah. And then you have strictly saltwater inhabitants, like the marine dugongs. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, if, if, if anyone's not familiar with the dugong, it's essentially like a manatee. It looks like a manatee. Yeah.
0: Uh, a, kind of a gray Michelin tire, man.
1: Yeah, except its tail is more like that of a whale or uh, you know, even, I guess, a mermaid, mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to the... Uh, the, the West Indian manatee, the, the manatee that you encounter in Florida, uh, has this kind of paddle tail. And, uh, yeah, the West Indian manatee is, is really most interesting because it inhabits both fresh and salty water. And of course, the, the brackish waters in between. Now, given their vulnerability, the manatee has received quite a bit of study. According to the University of Central Florida's Physiological Ecology and Bio, uh, Bioenergetics Lab, manatees in fresh water seem to get a great deal of water from the food they eat. They're voracious herbivores after all, consuming around 9% of their body weight per day. And they weigh up to, uh, uh, 12, uh, twelve hundred and thirteen pounds or 550 kilograms so they're they're large animals plus they also drink a lot of fresh water while it's there oh yeah Uh, there's um i've heard from people who've grown up in florida uh, the whole anecdote about how you can you can and absolutely should not um fee uh, give a, a manatee fresh water from a hose
0: yes uh, actually that article I was talking about earlier mm-hmm. by uh, that the marine biologist Kenny he writes about that he said when given a choice manatees and some pinnipeds will go to a fresh water source to drink it and that sometimes people who live on salty waterways in Florida will like put out a garden hose to to watch the manatees come over and drink from it because they like it better than the salty or brackish water.
1: Yeah, and of course the danger there with uh, with the, the West Indian manatee is that is that you do not want them associating food or fresh water with humans because interaction between humans and manatees, particularly interactions between boats and manatees, this is the, the leading cause of death for the species. Oh, no. Yeah. Now uh now that's of course uh, when they're in freshwater yeah they can get the freshwater all around them in salt water however they seem to limit their direct salt intake and have been observed to cease the consumption of sea grasses when their salt levels get too high
0: hmm so the seagrasses, I assume, are saltier than some of the other things. Yes, consume.
1: exactly. Yeah, the, this grass is is is
0: in the salty environment and is saltier. Now, one of the interesting strategies that Kenny mentions is that he says some seals will actually eat snow to get fresh water. Well, I grew up
1: eating snow. Don't didn't you have snow creams when you were a child?
0: Wait, hold on. What is a snow cream? How's is, is that
1: different from a snow cone? A snow cream is you you are allowed to go out into the snow. You get a bowl of snow. You bring it inside. And you put like uh, sugar and milk on it, and you eat it.
0: That okay? I <laughs> I have not incredible. Encouraged... Are you messing with me here? No, this
1: is real. I would uh, I would do it as a child up in. Uh up in uh, Newfoundland, Canada.
0: You get that brown slush from under the tire? No, is no, that no, what you, it is? No, no, You
1: only go for the, the white stuff. You leave the brown and the yellow alone. Uh, and, and I have to add, I, I do not know to what extent this is still done. Uh, I have not introduced it to, to my son uh, yet, but mm-hmm. I do have fond memories of doing doing this as a child.
0: Well, I did not expect to learn that today. Well, now you know. You learn something new to do with milk and sugar every day. <laughs> And, hey, if you want to throw some salt in there, then you have the, the curative properties of that as well, you know, for your leprosy. Right. Well, I think you actually need salt if you're going to go ahead and make full-on ice cream, right? Well, that's
1: true. Yeah, you do, if you're going to go all the way, you're going to need the salt. So there you go. Well, perhaps there are some snow cream experts out there practicing snow cream eaters that can uh, weigh in on this.
0: Now, also a uh, survival tactic among some seals and sea lions is apparently to – actually get some salty water in their system and just they just purge the heck out of it. Like Kinney writes that uh, measurements have found that among seals and sea lions, their urine can be up to 2.5 times as salty as seawater. Remember how we talked about how our urine can't get as salty as seawater, so Mm -hmm. we can't net purge salt. Uh, We're just going to accumulate it. But seals and sea lions apparently can. They, they can be up to two, 2.5 times as salty as seawater, meaning it's seven or eight times saltier than their blood, and that is some salty urine.
1: So, But they have the kidneys of a creature that has evolved to thrive in a saltwater uh, habitat.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they think that the kidneys have evolved to have these different types of structures, these longer loops that allow for more purging of water out of the concentrated solution that they will eventually end up excreting in their urine. Curiously enough, apparently, at least at the time Kenny was writing, he he wrote that we don't yet fully understand how whales and dolphins hydrate themselves, hmm. uh, just because it's it's harder to study them in the wild.
1: Interesting. Yeah, I mean, the the sea retains so many of its mysteries,
0: just as the ancient mariner would have it.
1: Yeah, I think I think the the old man, the uh, what the gray haired loon, yeah. uh,
0: would agree with us there. So I know you're out there thinking, like, okay. Unhand me, Graybeard Loon. It's time for this episode to wrap up. Should we wrap up?
1: Yeah, let's let's go ahead and wrap it up. Uh, hopefully, we provided a, you know a decent overview of of salt water, why we can't drink it, uh, some of the arguments for drinking it, and instructions on how to drink it if you absolutely have to. Uh, we do want to drive home though: do not drink salt water. Do not do not leave this podcast
0: thinking that you should try uh, a couple of pints. Now, what should their opinion be on snow cream?
1: I don't know. I have I have not researched it recently. I I, I probably should to see uh, see if I should let my, my son eat snow the next time it, it snows here in Atlanta, Georgia. But uh, yeah, I would I would love to hear from uh, people who are a little more up on the science of eating snow. Uh, likewise, <laughs> I'd love to hear from anyone who has. Uh, Who either has a story of not consuming enough salt or consuming way too much of drinking seawater. I mean, it's we have a number of listeners. I imagine some of you have been in survival situations before. I'd love to hear what it was like.
0: And I know we've heard from some listeners in the past who have actually lived and worked on the high seas. So uh, what, what tales did you hear out out on the waves?
1: Indeed, let us know uh hey in the meantime, be sure to check out uh, StuffToBlowYourMind.com. that's the mothership that's where you'll find all the podcast episodes. You will find uh, some videos, some blog posts, links out to our various social media accounts such as uh Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Uh also, hey, wherever you listen to us, be it uh Apple Podcasts, um Stitcher, wherever, if there is a way to rate our show, to throw some stars our way, maybe a nice comment, uh that is an excellent way to help us and ensure that we get to provide more great content to
0: you. Big shout out, as always, to our excellent producers, Alex Williams and Tari Harrison. And if you want to get in touch with us directly and ask us about a future topic or give us feedback on this this episode or any other, you can email us at blowthemind at howstuffworks.com.
6: For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com.
1: As idle as a painted ship... Upon a painted ocean. Water, water everywhere, And all the boards mm-hmm. did shrink. Water, water everywhere, Nor any drop to drink. <coughs>